Let's pray and then we'll open up God's word. God, we do believe in the Holy Spirit and we believe that the Holy Spirit is uh, essential in us understanding your word. We can all read. We can all read what the words say, but we, uh, we need your Holy Spirit to put life into those words. And so that life then becomes translated into our souls and we become the kind of people that you designed us to be and that is full of the life and the power that only you alone can give us. So uh, open the eyes of our hearts, open the ears of our hearts so we can hear and see what you're showing us, Holy Spirit. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So some of you may have grown up in the, in the tradition. This is the season of Lent. Um, I grew up in a church where I never heard of that word until I, until I got to college. Some of you probably did. I know if you grew up Catholic or maybe even Lutheran, you probably heard a lot about Lent. It was the, it's the 40-day period. It's not a biblical concept. I mean, it's not a biblical directive, but it's the 40 days starting with Ash Wednesday, which this year was, what, I think February 17th, 40 days prior to Easter, uh, in which typically you give something up for Lent. That's kind of the way people talk about it. We were just talking about this week that um, a lot of, what's the restaurant that was serving fish on Fridays? Joella's Chicken is serving fish on Fridays now. Because I think if you grew up, I mean, I think if you grew up Catholic, fish on Fridays during Lent was a big deal because you're giving up meat. I guess, I guess fish is less enjoyable than beef or chicken. I don't know. We couldn't figure out why. Who, who decided fish was the thing that was okay? But typically you give up when you, for Lent, and there's, I'm, not, I'm not making fun of Lent. Lent that, whole, that whole season, it can be a really good thing spiritually because you give up something, fasting of some sort. Some people fast from chocolate. Um, I think time, sometimes during Lent, I've chosen to fast on Tuesdays. I haven't done it recently, but Tuesdays during Lent. I knew a guy who fasted from coffee during Lent. And the thing during Lent, too, if you fast, which I, I didn't know this, technically, if you fast during Lent, Sunday is always Resurrection Sunday, no matter the whole period of Lent. So if you're fasting from coffee, you can drink coffee on Sunday. It's kind of one of these Lent, Lenten loopholes, I guess. I don't know. But, you know, people will give up chocolate, coffee, sweets, meat on Friday. Um, and it's a good practice because it's practicing discipline, self-discipline. Um, and it's mirrored after the 40 days Jesus spent in the wilderness before his public ministry, fasting, but also being tested. And uh, so it's a good thing. It's a good thing to give something up for Lent. So those of you, if you've, if you've done that and you're doing that, it's a good thing. Um, I'm going to challenge you uh, a little bit differently about and Lent's are almost over, but I want to challenge you differently about what, what this whole concept of, not just Lent, but what does it mean to, like I said at the start of the service, abandon your, give up yourself to God. Because it's easy, easy, I think, when we give up chocolate, coffee, or food on Tuesdays, or meat on Fridays, but it's really hard to let go of yourself to God in some ways. So we start off with this song, go to the next slide. Um... Okay, this is, yeah, this is what I want, okay. This was a psalm we started with, and I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but it's, um, you know, that God lifted out his despair, and then he puts a new song in, to sing, a hymn of praise to God. Many will see what he's done and be amazed. And in the version I normally use, which is called the New Living Translation, which is just a translation, they will put their trust in the Lord. But um, another translation called the Message, and I like the way they translated it, the last line, they will abandon themselves to God. Because again, I can say, you can say, I'm going to put my trust in God. And, and that, that sounds, yeah, it's challenging, but it kind of sounds, yeah, I can do that. I can put my, I can trust God. 
But if I were to say to you, okay, now I want you to abandon yourself to God. That's different than trusting. And, and the word trust actually has that sense of abandon yourself to God. So that word abandon is kind of the word of the day. And this, is, this sermon comes out of some, a challenge I think God's given me uh, recently. And so I just felt like God was saying, well, if it's good for you, why don't you pass the challenge on to others? Because the challenge is going to be um, not just giving up certain things for Lent or whatever, but what does it mean to abandon your whole self to God? And what does that look like? You might have heard of uh, Charles Blondin, uh, great tightrope walker, French uh, famous for walk tightroping over the Niagara Falls, which is what, I think it was 1,100 feet to walk over. He would do it often with wheelbarrows. He'd, one time he did it and he had it, uh, had a cup of, no, he fried an egg in the middle of the tightrope above Niagara Falls. But one time he asked people, how many of you believe, trust, that I can carry a man on my back over the tightrope? And of course, yes, we yes, and they're all excited. And then he said, who will be first? All right. Finally, one hand went up. And I don't know why the guy kept his top hat on. I would have taken mine off because it appears in a blow-off. But anyway, that's just me thinking about that. But so in one sense, yes, they all trusted he could do that. But only one person trusted he could do that. And that's the difference of trust I want to challenge you to that I think God's challenging me to. I can trust, yes, I know God can do certain things. I know he can do everything. He's incredible, you know what? But then if, if, if God says to me, okay, hop on board, that's a whole different kind of trust. And that's an abandonment of my life to God. So here's the question I want to challenge you with today and I, that I feel like God's challenged me with. In what area of your life is God asking you to give up control? Not give up coffee, sweets, meat on Friday, but give up control. Like, you know, I'm 59, and I'll, I'll give my, uh, this is the 59 and older table over here. I have a few people, but, you know, I, I'm already thinking about, okay, financial security and retirement. And yeah, I want to be wise and smart, but am I willing to trust God to give up control? And control meaning I'm if I try to do things to make it happen because I'm not sure if God's going to help out. And maybe your issue is you're trying to control a person, husband, wife, son, daughter, whatever, and you're not controlling, controlling, but you have these little nuances and little ways of manipulation because you want to control their behavior. Or you're trying to control a situation at work. And Yes, we're supposed to be self-controlled, and yes, we're supposed to be responsible, but I think you know what I mean. There's times where we want to control things. I'm going to control my relationships. I'm going to control my financial future. I'm going to control things in my job. And the question I feel like God's challenged me with, and I'm flipping back to you as well, is what area of your life is God asking you to take, let go of control? Another, abandon. Literally, let him have the steering wheel. And that doesn't mean you resort to passive, being passive. I mean, if I'm trying to think about, uh, okay, I want to make sure I have financial security when I'm 70, that doesn't mean now I just like, oh, well, I'll just spend, 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 and it'll all be there because I'm going to trust God. It doesn't mean passivity. It simply means I'm going to stop trying to 
push and tweak and turn the dials to make things happen in my favor. Or if, if, you're, if you say, well, what do you mean by if I'm controlling one of my kids or somebody in my family, I'm the parent, I'm supposed to, well, yeah, you're supposed to, in parental oversight and being a parent is one thing, controlling your child is a whole other thing, whether the child is three or 33, right? Control is different. So I'm not saying don't parent, I'm not saying don't plan with your money, I'm not saying don't be wise in your job, but I am saying, and I'm wondering if you would respond to the God on this one, is there some area that God would say you're, you need to let go of control on this one? Still be smart, still be vigilant, still work hard, but let go of control. And uh, here's the story we'll use to talk about this. So go to the next slide. Um, some of you might already know which this is referring to, but God's saying to someone, because you've obeyed me and have not withheld, and I have dot, 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 I swear by my own name, you'll certainly bless you. Who, who, who's God talking to? Abraham. And what's the dot, dot, dot? Had not withheld what? Son. This is the story where God, and this is, this is the one, if you want a story of what does it look like to abandon yourself to God, uh, another word, surrender yourself to God, because both of those have an absolute, I'm letting it all go. So you might know that story, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, God had promised them, you're going to, we're going to bless the world to you, Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham kept saying to God, how's that going to happen? I don't have any children. And Sarah was beyond her childbearing age, but God said, no, you're going to have a son. And you might remember this part of the story where Abraham believed God, I'm going to have a son, but Abraham took matters in his own hand, control-wise, and decided since he couldn't have a son through Sarah, so he thought, he took one of Sarah's servants, Hagar, had sexual relations with her, had a son, Ishmael. All right? Abraham took control of the situation because he wasn't quite sure if God was going to do what he said he was going to do. That's the kind of giving up control I'm talking about where Abraham did something that he thought made sense to him. He pulled the levers and switches and whatever because I'm going to take control of the situation because I don't see how God's going to pull this one off. God does pull it off, so to speak. Sarah gets pregnant and he has a son, Isaac. And so you can imagine Abraham's joy that God did what he said he would do. But then God says to Abraham, okay, now I, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. And I was wondering about this this week. I wonder if God would have asked him to sacrifice Isaac if Abraham wouldn't have already done the control game with Ishmael. If God was trying to make for sure, not that God tests in a kind of a mean way, but he purifies. God's testing is purifying. It's not, I'm going to see if you really, but I, I wonder, I don't know. We don't know this, but I wonder if Abraham would have just trusted from the beginning, abandoned from the beginning, trust in the supernatural intervention of God and his wife's dead womb. I wonder if God would have had this challenge for Isaac. We don't know, but either way, God does challenge Abraham, and he says, I want you to, I want you to take him to the mountain. I want you to sacrifice him and kill him. And uh, if, you, if, if you read this story without the benefit of what uh, I'll call flash forward, or we have flashbacks. Flash forward is, oh, I know how the story ends. So the tension of what's going on isn't that bad, right? 
But if you don't know how it ends, and you're just walking along with Abraham when he wakes up in the morning, he has this clear sense that God's what he told him to do, and you're wrestling with the tension of Abraham abandoning himself through his son to God, it's, it's, it's awful. He's letting up control in a major way. I mean, we don't know if he told Sarah the morning he was leaving, I'm taking Isaac, I'm, what are you doing? I, we, don't, we don't know, but can you imagine what it was like when Abraham's like, and Abraham didn't even ask God, okay, there's some area in my life I need to let go of control. He didn't even ask God. I'm asking you to ask God that. He didn't even ask God. But God said, no, I'm, I'm because God knew. God knew there was an area of, his, of Abraham's life that needed, that Abraham needed to let go of. And for whatever way you might think God seems cruel, but I, in this situation, it's like, who, what God would ask that? Blah, blah, would, you know, was God really expecting Abraham to go? Well, I, we don't know the answers. We do know, we do know from Scripture, God is always loving and always for us, and he's not just going to be vindictive. So God's not being vindictive here. But when Abraham goes through with it, and at the last minute, God provides a lamb, he says, now I know, Abraham, now I know. And this is what then he says, now I know because you've obeyed me and not withheld, and of course the dot, dot, dot was not withheld your son. You let go of total control. I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. And then because of Abraham's willingness to abandon himself to God, God says, I'm going to bless you. And, and if you know the rest of the story of Abraham, God says, I'm not going to bless you. Through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world. And you might have heard the phrase we've used at Exodus, I'm blessed to be a blessing. That God's blessing on our lives is not because he just wants to bless us, but he, through us, he wants us to bless friends, neighbors, blah, 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 you know, that we're, we are conduits of the blessing of God. But in Abraham's case, and I think in our case too, the blessing only flows as freely as control has been let go of. So when Abraham lets go of the ultimate control, like the control of this, you know, the apple of his eye, his son, then it's like, okay, the floodwaters are open wide for Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. And I think it's interesting that not only the Christian faith, but the Jewish faith and Muslims also have great reverence for Abraham. Dif different reasons in some of those other cases, but Abraham's like probably one of the most admired, if you really looked at it, he's the, like one of the most admired people in all world religions. And of course, God has great esteem for Abraham because Abraham was willing to let go of control in a certain situation. Because I'm sure if I would have been Abraham in a certain way, I would have been like, okay, God, I, I get what you're asking me to do, but can I give part of this? Can we do something else that shows you I really trust you, but do I have to do this? Because what we like to do, what I like to do, is I don't want to give control to God. I mean, okay, God's asked for one-tenth of my money, right? That's a tithe. So I give one-tenth. Shouldn't that be good enough, right? Is, one day a week I go to church on Sundays. Shouldn't that be good enough? I mean, you want everything? <laughs> I still, uh, so the word abandonment, I, I uh, you know, I, it's kind of equated to the idea of surrender. And there's an old song, and you may know this if you grew up in the church. If you didn't grow up in the church, you may not know this, but there's a song that goes, All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. <clears throat> in a situation when I was in college, I actually went forward during a service because I thought that was God asked me to give myself to him. But I heard a speaker say one time, 
Yeah, for most of us Christians, the song, All to Jesus I Surrender, what we, we're, what we really want to say is, one-tenth to Jesus I surrender, one-tenth to him I freely give. I'm giving my money, God, what else do you want? I'm giving you my Sunday mornings, what else do you want? But it seems like in a situation with Abraham, God wants surrender, abandonment, not just thanks for the tithe, not just thanks for the Sunday morning service, thanks for being a good person. It's all to Jesus I surrender. So, because then you wonder, okay, in this case, if, if this is what God required of Abraham, who was chosen, it, maybe it's better not to be chosen. Because we're chosen. And if he chose us, chose us as his sons and his daughters through the, through the blood of Jesus in our lives, then it's legitimate, and he has total authority to ask us to let go of control of things. And again, the question is, what is it in your life that God may be asking you to let go of control? Maybe it's a hope, a dream in the future. Not saying you should let go of hopes and dreams, but let go of the ways in which we, and I can be good at this, I can turn enough knobs and switches where I feel like I'm still in control to make my hope and dream happen. But of course I want God to do something too, but I can still do a couple. And you're like, well, what if, if I had these hopes and dreams... And I take my hands off, then what? Well, then you do trust God. And then I'm not saying the, the, the trite answer, but your only resort is to pray. God, you know what my hopes and dreams are. God, you know what my hope is for the next couple of years. You know what my hope is for my marriage, for my relationships, for this and that. You know what those are. I'm going to take my hands off the controls. I'm not, I'm not, I am not dying to the desire I have. I mean, the nature of Buddhism is if you have desires, you just need to quelch them. That's not Christianity. Christianity says, no, I have this big desire that I think God's put in my heart. I'm just not, I'm just not gonna put my hands on it and control it. I'm gonna trust that God knows what I, what's on my heart and he knows what's best for me. So I'm not asking you, God doesn't ask you to, okay, just shut the desire down. You wanna have this in your life or this in your marriage or this in your finances or this in your future. God's not saying stop desiring. He didn't tell Abraham, your desire for your son's a little bit too strong. He didn't say stop. He's like, no, I just want to test it. So I'm not, not saying quelch your desire. If anything, God says no. Be, he gives us the desires of our heart. But if you are in the business, as I can often be, in the desire of making my desires happen because I know how to control things, that's what God's saying, let go of that. All right? So the other, the other reference I'll go to is in this, and this is in Matthew 19, again, this idea of abandonment and control. So Jesus is just talking to a rich man, and the rich man said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus knew this man was enslaved to his wealth, and Jesus said to him, you need to sell all you have and give it to the poor. That's not a commandment God says to all of us, but he knew that was the enslavement of this man that he needed to let control of and the man walked away sad because he didn't want to let go of control <laughs> and then said the disciples were all like amazed like wow that's hard Jesus you're asking him to do that's a hard thing to do and then Peter says this we've given up everything to follow you because 
Jesus, this rich man, wasn't willing to give up his money, but Peter said, we've given up everything. But then the follow-up question also is, is a challenge to you and me and to Peter. What do we get? Because then we start thinking, okay, if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up something to God because I want something from God. Well, that's not really abandonment. That's negotiation. All right? God, I'll give up this. I'll give up control of this or I'll, you know, give up chocolate meat on Fridays or whatever. Not chocolate meat. Chocolate, comma, meat on Fridays. <laughs> All right? I'll give up those things but I really need you to do this for me. Or I will abandon myself to you, but I need you to do this for me. So, and, so Peter's kind of playing the game we play. I'll give it up, but what do I get out of it? And Jesus answers this to Peter here, and Jesus just says, I, in this, he, doesn't, he answers by, in the next life to come, what, what you've given up, you'll be get back multiple times. If you've given up relationships with family, fathers, children, whatever, if you're giving up wealth, houses. Jesus says you're, there's something that's going to change in your soul, so in the life after this life, you're going to be you're going to have an abundance of joy in your life. But he doesn't promise Peter, he doesn't say to Peter, oh yeah, you've given up everything, pretty soon you guys are going to be in charge of all Jerusalem, you're going to be on, you know, he doesn't tell them that. And so this question of Peter said, what do I get out of it? Which we often ask, God, I'll give this up to you, but I, I need something in return that kind of shows your good faith toward me, right? But God wants abandonment to him simply because we trust him. We don't need any tokens back in return. I mean, we want them. We don't need them. Um, but I just thought Peter's, I mean, we, I think we can all relate to Peter's last line. Well, what do I get out of this? Well, Jesus has already promised us and God's already promised us fullness of joy, irrational, otherworldly kind of peace. He's promised us courage that comes only from the promise that he's always with us. He's promised us his presence. So he's always promised those, already promised those things. So we know that's what we get, but it's not because we've negotiated. That's just because who God is. So the more we abandon ourselves to God, the more those things become part of what we experience in life. Not because it's been a negotiation, Okay, God, I'll, I'll give you this if you give me that. I'll do this if you give me that. Because God doesn't work that way. He doesn't, he doesn't need to work that way. Because we don't work best that way. So I'll go back to the last, go back to the question again, and then we'll wrap up here. In what area of your life is God asking you to give up control? In other words, what area is he asking you to abandon yourself to God? So you, I mentioned from the psalm, they be read, the abandonment to God kind of has a, uh, it's a worship kind of notion, abandoned to God. And I mentioned when I was praying that when King David, who was like, you know, warrior, king, leader, when the Ark of the Covenant comes back into Jerusalem, David abandons himself to God and he says he does this dance as he, he's dancing. And his wife actually holds him in contempt like that was a little bit too much abandonment to God. So, and I'm not saying simply, okay, let's, when we worship, we need to be a little more abandoned to God. But just the, the imagery of abandonment to God. So if somebody's worshiping and they're very expressive, uh, the ideal is that expressiveness before God, like I don't care what other people think about me, is, a, is an expression of abandonment toward God. Um, 
you can do those things and not have an abandoned spirit to God. But I'm just saying the imagery there of David being abandoned to God in his worship is no different. It's the same thing of being a, how Abraham was abandoned to God in his worship. And Abraham wasn't dancing and singing. He wasn't twirling around. But they both were abandoned to God because they let themselves completely trust and respond to God in the way they knew they needed to. So, um, let's just close your eyes. And Aaron, you can come on up. We're, we're going to sing here in a minute. But I want you just to take, take a minute and ask the Holy Spirit, is there an area of my life that I need to take my hands off the control levers? Um, financial, future, relational, whatever. And uh, just ask the Holy Spirit, is there some area of my life that I need, hope, dream, that I need to take my hands off the levers. Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us if it's not this moment, even throughout the rest of this day, throughout the week, would you bring to mind things? Maybe a situation this week where you bring to our mind, this is what I'm talking about. This situation right here, this is where you need to let go of control and trust me in an abandoned kind of way. Holy Spirit, would you bring that to our mind this week in whatever situations or, or situation that you want us to become absolutely abandoned to you and our trust for you? that we trust you to bring into being what you know is best for us. And uh, we trust you. And we say that in, a, in an abandoned kind of way, we want to trust you. We want to be giants in that kind of trust. We want to have that kind of peace and joy that comes from that kind of trust. And we ask on your name. Amen. So as we go into communion, go to the last slide there. I think there's one from Philippians so Philippians 2, it's a good lead-in for communion because um, Philippians, this, this, this actually passage is thought to be one of the earliest hymns of the church. Uh, it was put to some song we don't know. But Paul is telling the Philippians that uh, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not account equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself. Like, he was God. He could have done whatever. He, he could have totally put his hands back on the control and wiped out the Roman soldiers and wiped out the, the Jewish leaders who were wanting to crucify him. But he emptied himself. That's the same sense of he let go of control. Jesus was never not in self-control, but he let go of controlling his own destiny because he trusted God. He trusted his Father. So... That's the mind, that's the way of thinking that we're told to mimic is the mind of Christ who, who even though he could have, could have, should have, and would have, however you want to think about it, could have been on the control and steering wheel and everything, he chose to empty himself, he let it go. Because he trusted what the Father had for him and knew what the Father had for him was not just best for him, it was best for us. Because it led to our, our newness of life, our redemption, our wholeness. So, um, 
as we take today, and you'll have your communion cups on your tables, as you take today, let me just encourage you to take where you're asking Jesus, and he says to remember him, let's remember his mindset of empty himself. And as you take in the wafer and the cup into, your, into yourself, you're basically saying, I, I want to have that kind of attitude, God, with areas of my life that I need to let go of control. I want to empty myself of having to be in control of those situations. All right? Because that's the mind of Christ, right? So go ahead and get your wafer cups, you know, and then I'll uh, pray, and then Aaron will sing. Jesus, we're grateful that you emptied yourself. You let go of the controls, even though you had you above anybody had absolute right and authority to do so you had the right and authority to keep your hands on the steering wheel and control things and avoid uh the unknown of what was going to come on your crucifixion but also your resurrection so jesus we're grateful that you show us and that you enable us then to be those kind of people thank you for your death your resurrection that open up this new and living way the Bible tells us that we can have now a relationship with God that's free of our own selfish control, but it's also free then for us to have peace, joy, courage, and hope in ways we've never imagined. So Jesus, we thank you for your uh, willingness to empty yourself and die on our behalf. And we ask this all in your name. Amen.